I know you just got comfortable, but if you're able, would you mind standing with me? Don't worry, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Uh, but today's going to be a little different than a normal Sunday. Uh, you see, I've decided to just read some excerpts from Scripture, uh, specifically from the first five books of the Bible. And so it won't be my typical, like, 25, 30-minute sermon. I think I've got it down to about five hours. Okay, now that you know I'm kidding, you can sit back down. Because some of you just went, oh, no. How excited, though, would you be if that's what we were about to do? If you were about to stand for the next five hours and listen to Scripture being read. Now, just to be perfectly frank, if I were sitting in the pew the way you are and someone got up and said, we're about to read Scripture for the next five hours, would you please stand with me? I would be looking for the nearest exit. Right. I mean, like you would probably have a hard time beating me to the parking lot because, quite frankly, for me, at least, I don't find anything quite as boring as just listening to someone read for hours upon hours upon hours. I know what you're thinking, like, how do you ever become a preacher? Like, I get it. I wonder some days, too. Right. Uh, But we've been in our our sermon series here in the book of Nehemiah. and, And last week we saw how. This, this wall, this account of this wall being rebuilt in just 52 days, and, and what an amazing account that that is. But it really wasn't the building of the wall that was the most amazing thing that Nehemiah led. You see, a wall being built offers security, but walls don't offer life. Only having a right relationship with God that's what will give any of us life, including those who are in Jerusalem. And if a person wants to have a right relationship with God, then oftentimes hearing the Word of God is where, well, it's where that will begin. We see that the Word of God was being read. I'll go over to my text here. In Nehemiah chapter 8, picking up in verse 2. It says, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning till midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now Ezra, the priest, he's not making them listen to the word of God being read. This isn't even Nehemiah's idea. If you go back to verse 1, we'll see that it was the idea of the people for the law to be read to them. It says all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Again, a good relationship with God is going to begin with a desire to hear Scripture. And these were a people who had a desire to hear Scripture. They wanted to hear the law of Moses. Because by hearing the law of Moses, they were hearing the voice of God. They were attentive to the voice of God. Do you and I, do we have that same desire within us to hear the voice of God? You see, what Scripture is, what Scripture always has been, as long as this old world of ours stands, what Scripture will always be, It's the voice of God to the generations. 
Generation after generation after generation, we have the voice of God. I know, I know that for many of us, we're very anxious for God to hear us, right? I mean, we go to God with all of our wants and our needs and our desires. We go to Him in prayer, and we should. That's a wonderful avenue He's given us to be able to go before the very throne of God is an amazing thing. And I hope that we're a very prayerful people. But, but I've got to ask myself, am I as anxious to hear from Him as I am for Him to hear from me? Do I really want to hear the Word and the will of God? You see, one day, one day we'll, we'll stand face to face with God. I wonder what that will be like. I, I wonder what He'll say. I, I think He'll have lots to say to us. And, and, I, and I'm pretty sure in that moment that, that none of us as as God is speaking to us, I'm, I'm pretty sure none of us are going to go, I'm sorry, hang on, what were you just saying? I got to thinking about something else. And, and I got totally distracted. Uh, I started thinking about what I'm going to do the rest of the afternoon. Uh, I was wondering how long you were going to talk. I, I was curious what time it was. I mean, I had all these thoughts going through my mind. I'm, I'm sorry, I just completely uh, quit paying attention to what you were saying. My, my bad. We're not going to do that. Man, we're going to hang on on every word that He says. And if our hope and our desire and our plan is to do that eternally, then we should also be a people that are doing it now. What did it say about the children of Israel that as the Word was being read, that the ears of all the people, they were attentive to the book of the law. And by the way, it wasn't just like a 5 or 15 minute scripture reading that happened here. It was from morning to midday, so about five hours, hence my joke earlier. (laughs) And it wasn't just one day, it was for an entire week. For an entire week, they came and they stood as Ezra read the book of the law from morning to midday. For five to six hours, they stood as Ezra read the word of God to them. And they were attentive, oh so very attentive to what the Word of God said. For you see, as the people heard the Word of God, they were convicted. They were convicted because they began to see and to understand that there were things in their own life that didn't reflect the will of God. They began to recognize their own sinfulness. We all do that from time to time, hopefully. As we hear and we see the Word of God, we, we see that it's, it's contrary to our own life, and we feel that, that similar conviction. When they felt that conviction, that conviction of sin, because their life didn't reflect the will of God, it brought them to tears. But what's interesting here is, is even though it brought them to tears, and that seems like such a natural and normal response for any of us, but Ezra and Nehemiah told them, hold on now. Now's not the time to cry. Picking up in verse 9, it says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. 
For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This was a time to, to celebrate, not a time to weep. Why? They were convicted of sin. They knew that they had lived a life that was contrary to the will of God. That's what brought about their tears. So why was it a time to celebrate and not a time to mourn? Because God is good. And God is faithful. Despite or in spite our own unfaithfulness. As was the case here with the children of Israel. You see, God had never left them. Yes, they had left Him. God had continued to uphold His end of the covenant as He always does. But God had not left them. And God has never left us either. No matter what the wrongdoing may be that we're guilty of from our our past or even from our present. No matter how far from the Lord we may have strayed or we may currently be. There is nothing that we can do that is so heinous, that is so bad, that God would ever stop loving and caring about us. It never stops. He always is concerned about us. He always loves us. And there is nothing that you or I can do that will ever cause our God to love us any less. And for that, man, that's good news. (laughs) To know that we serve a God who is good and faithful and loving and merciful Know that no matter the mistakes, how big or how small, that our God continues to love us. Our God continues to to care for us. Our God continues to uphold His end of His covenant with us, even when we don't. So you see, for, for those in Jerusalem, it was a time for them to pause, a time for them to, to celebrate. And every Lord's Day, it's a time for us to pause as well. A time for for you and I to celebrate. I hope you have your your Lord's Supper, your emblems with you. If not, raise your hand. I'm sure someone in the back could go get them for you. We're about to partake together as a family, as we do every Lord's Day. You see, this this is a celebration. Do we weep? Do we grieve over sins from our past, sins from the present? Absolutely. But we rejoice. We rejoice because we, we understand what this time represents. This feast, if you will, that we call the Lord's Supper. We call communion. This time when we spend with these, these two very, very simple emblems of unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. So simple in their representation, but so rich, so powerful in, in what Jesus instituted and left for us. A time of remembrance. A time of celebration. Knowing that as we partake of this bread and, and we drink this fruit of the vine, 
we remember we remember that sacrifice that was made on the cross at Calvary. We remember that that body of Jesus beaten and battered, maybe beyond recognition, nailed to the cross, crown of thorns on his head, beaten into his brow. After he had spent the day being falsely accused and continued to be mocked and made fun of, and his body, his body hanging there, perfect, sinless, no reason for him to be condemned to death aside from our guilt, our sin. This, this fruit of the vine, oh, it's not just a, a simple cup of grape juice that, that we drink to swig down this, you know, well, pretty rough tasting uh, <laughs> piece of bread. No. It represents that blood. Blood that Jesus willingly, sacrificially shed there on the cross for you and I. You see, a long time ago, there was an institution throughout the Old Testament where, where they did sacrifices. And, and it was something that at the time God wanted, but, but the blood of bulls and goats... It was never going to be good enough to really forgive mankind of their sin. What was needed was a lamb. The very lamb of God who came to take away the sins of this world. And He willingly, He willingly shed His blood for us. And again, I tell you, that, that as much as this, this moment each week should be a time when our heart breaks because we understand our humanity, we, we know how far we fall from being who God wants us to be, it should also be a time that absolutely fills us with joy because we understand how good and how wonderful and how merciful our God is. It, it should fill our spirit and our heart with joy. It should put a smile on our face. knowing that here on the cross we remember each week the very embodiment of the love of God. Not just for all mankind. Not just for all of us. But for you. And for me. Personally. Individually. Giving His life for each and every one of us. And that's good news. Let's go to our Father together in prayer as we pray for the bread. Father God, we, we do humbly come before You today thanking You so much for this time that You have set aside for us each week to remember this most precious sacrifice of Your Son. A sacrifice that, that You provided for us because of the love that You have for us. And God, as we prepare as a family to, to take this, this bread together, may we always be mindful of the body of Jesus. May we always be mindful 
of his life, his death, his resurrection. May we always be mindful of the sacrifice that only he could provide for us. All this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give God thanks for the fruit of the vine. Our Father God, as we continue this time of of thanksgiving, we are so thankful for this fruit of the vine, representing blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary for, for our sins, for our soul's sake. God, may we never forget or even take for granted the blood that Your Son shed for us so that we could have the hope of salvation, the hope of eternity with You. For we know, Father, that this sacrifice was so much greater, so much better, so much purer than any sacrifice that had certainly ever come before it. And we pray, Father, that each week as we, as we commune around Your table as a family, that we would always be filled with joy as we understand the sacrifice. The sacrifice that He made for us as He shed His blood. All this we pray in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. It's a very wonderful thing, a very special thing for the family of God to be able to commune around the table of our Lord each week. We oftentimes say that now is a a good time, it's a convenient time for us to lay by in store, for us to to give back to God. And I want you to notice something interesting uh, about the celebration that Nehemiah told those in, in Jerusalem to have. After their celebration, he said, I want you to send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. So in other words, that that celebration, that time of pause to celebrate the goodness of God was not a selfish time. It it was a time to actually be selfless and, and to strive for a more selfless character. Well, each week as as we give back to God knowing how much He's given to us, Surely the Lord's Supper should actually compel us to be more generous as we understand how generous He's been to us. I know that sometimes we'll say, I think I've probably even said it myself, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper. And the reason we say that is because we want to draw kind of a, a dividing line between the two acts of worship. You know, we don't want it to be like, uh, this is a joke from a long time ago, the little boy who was rather confused about the whole process and he assumed that the, the contribution was when you paid for the snack that you just ate. Like, like we won't want to do that. You don't want to just blend together like, like that, like the two are one. But man, what a convenient time for like the 
the exclamation point, if you will, on the sacrifice of Jesus. An opportunity for us to strive to be selfless. An opportunity for us to give back to He who has He was given us everything. This is not a time to be selfish. This is a time to be generous. Of course, the the way we have grown accustomed to doing it here is you can give online, you you can give in the church office, you can give the boxes, of course, nailed up in the hallways, uh, trying to make it as convenient for all of us as we can to truly give back to the God in in a generous way. Let's go to God once more in thanksgiving. Our Father God, we humbly bow before you today. And truly, Father, we are so thankful for every blessing in this life. Spiritual and physical. And certainly, God, we know that we can never outgive you. That you have given us so much. Truly in abundance. And we just pray, Father, that our hearts are always touched by your generosity, and that in turn, we as your children, we want to reflect the generosity you've shown to us, that that we want to give back to you, Father, because truly you have blessed us with so much. Again, thank you. Thank you for every blessing, the greatest of which is your Son. And it's in His name, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. You know, not only, uh, going back to our text, uh, not only did the people shed tears, but they began to see that there were festivals that had been had in times past that God had wanted the people to have that they had not been having. And so as they they heard of these festivals and things that were taking place, one of which was called the Festival of of Booths, uh, which was a time for the children of Israel to to build shelters for themselves outside so that they could remember what their ancestors had gone through and how they lived throughout the uh, duration of the wilderness wandering. Well, it kind of hit them that they hadn't been doing these things, and they were convicted that they hadn't been doing the, the very things that God had wanted them to do for a very long time. So, so what do you think that they did? Well, they obeyed. So the people went out and they brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts in the house of God, and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, and they lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. So it had been a very long time since the days of Joshua that people had been upholding and doing these festivals the way God had commanded them to. And again, what did they do? They obeyed. People who are serious about being in a right relationship with God Yes, our our sins, they should prick our heart. They should convict us. We should at times shed tears. But that's not where it should stop. It should motivate us to obey. It should motivate us to want to conform our life and our will to the will of God. And, And so we should be a people that as the Word of God, as it pricks our heart, we don't just feel bad that we always have carried grudges, but rather we strive to become a more forgiving people. 
we don't just carry around grief because maybe I'm, I'm not as, as generous as I should be. Maybe I'm a little more stingy at heart than I know I should be. I don't just carry that around, but rather I strive to become a very generous person the way God would want me to be generous. I don't just carry around the burden of knowing that, that you know, I just don't have as loving of a spirit toward my fellow man the way that I should. We don't just carry that around. We actually strive to love like there is no tomorrow. That's obedience. That, that, that's doing and carrying out the will of God so that our lives begin to conform to His will. And you know what happened? I didn't put this up here a minute ago on purpose. But you know what happened when they obeyed? There was very great rejoicing. When they obeyed the will of God, there was very great rejoicing. Christianity will make you miserable if all you have is knowledge. Because if all you have is knowledge of what's right or wrong, then you probably carry a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of sorrow because you know what's right and what's wrong. You feel convicted. You have the knowledge of what's right and wrong. You feel bad. Well, that's no fun to just carry that around. You need to be able to go beyond that, right? And how do you go beyond that? By putting those things down. By repenting, by obeying God. In obedience to God, what's found? Joy. Just having a little bit of knowledge of what's right or wrong in my life, it's going to make you miserable. But actually living for God, actually obeying His will, that's where joy is found. And so what a wonderful blessing it is to have the joy of the Lord. And as we obey Him, that joy of God is experienced. These these people here in Jerusalem, they also rededicated their lives to God. They understood that, that they needed to own up to their various sins that they had committed. Chapter 9 and verse 1 says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood and they confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. Can you, can you imagine the transition here? <laughs> to, to go from this time of celebration and joy to this time of grief. This, this time of confession. Man, I bet that I bet that was a big swing, right, in the in the overall mood uh, of those there in Jerusalem to go from from celebrating what a great God we have to being so convicted that you begin to openly confess your sins and your shortcomings. You fast. You wear sackcloth. You put dirt on your head, all as a sign of of mourning. You're mourning your sorrows. Confession is it's a good thing. It's a needed thing. But it's also something that a lot of times we're not real crazy about uh, because it hurts. <laughs> and generally speaking, we don't like to do things that hurt. And so we will run from or avoid that which is painful. And a lot of times we find confession painful because in our mind we have convinced ourselves that if we're open and honest and completely transparent about what it is going on in my life that I, I need help with, 
Well, other people, they're just going to judge me. And other people, they're going to ridicule me. So I'm just going to try to hide this. I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep it a secret and hope that nobody ever finds out about whatever this sin and shortcoming in my life is. And it puts me, every single time, it puts me on a path that is slowly but surely leading me to my own destruction. Every time. That's why confession is so necessary. It's, it's good, if you will. It's good for our soul. We try to ignore it. Can't ignore it. Some have convinced themselves that we've messed up so bad that God would never hear us. God would never forgive us. Like, like we've already stated, that's just not true. That, that we have a good and, and loving and merciful God and He always upholds His end of, of the covenant. He's faithful to us even when we're unfaithful to Him. But look, if you don't want to believe me, listen to the words of Ezra the priest. This is a part of his prayer here in Nehemiah. Listen to what he says to God in his prayer. He says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Not only were they convicted by their sins and began to confess their sins, they also began to renew their vows with God. It says the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and His rules and His statutes. They were determined to be the people that God wanted them to be. And because they were determined to be the people that God wanted them to be, they are renewing their vow here. Again, the covenant had not gone away. God is always faithful to keep His side of the covenant. They just needed to renew their relationship with Him. They needed to, to renew those, those vows that they had made with God. You know, I'll come down here for this part. Sometimes, um, we would probably all do very well to follow the example of the Israelites. I know that's not always the case. <laughs> a lot of times we use them as examples of what not to do, and that's often true. But here is one particular situation where we would probably all do very well to follow in their footsteps. You see, all of us from time to time, there is a need to renew. There is a need to renew our vows with God, to renew our commitment to God. Because just like those Israelites, we all stray. We all at times fall away. Some fall further than others. Some just get discouraged and distracted by life. Others just walk away from Christ and His church. But either way, it's, it's being led away. Falling away. And it's not that the covenant of God that you entered into when you were baptized is now null and void because you're no longer as faithful as you once were. 
Again, God is faithful to uphold His end of the covenant. But you, maybe you need to renew that covenant. Maybe you need to renew that vow. Maybe you need to renew your commitment to our God. How are you and the Lord doing? That's a question that only you and He can truly answer. And I hope, I hope that we would learn from the Israelites of years gone by. I hope that we would be a people who just, man, we're attentive to the Word of God. We, we want to hear it. I hope, I hope this is kind of where we are. And when we do hear it, when we hear that our life doesn't reflect what the will of God is, I hope we, can, we feel that conviction. I hope that does at times move us to tears. But I hope we also find great joy in knowing that our God is a good and loving and merciful God. And He's always here. Just like that beautiful parable that Jesus told of that prodigal son who had gone off into a far country. When He came home, I know you remember the story. When he came home, the father was waiting there to really get on him, right? To really get in his face about what all he had done and how bad he... No. His arms were open. His arms were open and he said, "What? let's celebrate. Another reason to celebrate. Why? Because this child of mine who was lost has been found. He was dead and he is alive again. You need to come back today. Oh, there will be a great celebration in heaven, but there will also be a great celebration right here. We can help you in any way. Won't you come as we stand and sing for your encouragement?